We're glad that you're here. If you have a Bible, please turn to Titus chapter 3. That's where we're going to be making our home this morning. And then leave a finger there. Um, but if you are tuning in with us from home and assuming you can hear me, or if you, maybe you're joining us from your car, wherever you are, it's, it's my hope that God's going to move in your life this morning. Specifically, that he would give each of us new eyes, eyes that see more like God's eyes. Now, this morning is our final day, if you've been keeping track in our series, Hands on Deck, Hearts on Fire, where we break apart and look inside the values that South Shores is driven by. Now, the verb value is very easy to throw around, but I wonder how many of us really appreciate what it means. So I turned to the dictionary for some help, and it lists to value as a verb to consider or rate highly, or to, to rate or scale in usefulness, importance, or general worth. Now, I was thinking this through. If anyone here has had the pleasure of going to the restaurant called Claim Jumper, you'll know what Claim Jumper values. Large portion sizes. They're huge. If anyone here has had the pleasure of visiting In-N-Out, you'll know what In-N-Out values. What they say is important to them. Quality and a simple menu, right? And if anyone here has ever had the pleasure of visiting Disneyland, you'll know what Disney considers worthy, what they rate highly, namely taking all of our money in exchange for a magical experience, right? So what does South Shores as a church, rate highly as important to us. That's what we've been looking at each week. I mean, is it, do we want to impress you with our music? Do we want to aim to take all your money in exchange for a magical experience? Thankfully, no. What South Shore's church values and holds dear is based on our God and his word. So I wonder how good your memory is. Let's compete with the people we're sitting next to and see if you remember each week. Week one, we learned that South Shore's values being anchored in God's word, right? Pastor Ty showed us how the promises of God shown in the Bible give us a, a solid foundation that'll help us stay anchored in rough times and keep us pointed towards him. Week two, we learned that South Shore's values being known by love. Pastor Derek on that week showed us that Christian love will be a reputation that points other people to Jesus. Week three, we learned that South Shore's values being rescued to reach. Pastor Ron helped us understand that every member is on mission to advance the kingdom of God through sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And then last week, we learned that South Shore's values being partnered in prayer. Pastor Micah showed us that prayer is the way children of God interact with God and the way they partner with God on his mission. So anyone get four for four? Great job. So today we're going to finish it out. It's week five. We're going to learn this morning that South Shore's values investing in what's next. What's next? That's a very interesting question for many of us. Right now, some of you are thinking, what's next? getting into my car and turning on the air conditioning. <laughs> but some of you younger kids are thinking, what is the next toy I'm going to get? Mom, can we go to Target? And some of you teenagers are thinking, when am I going to go to school in person? 
Some of you young folks are thinking, what's next for your career or your family? And when we talk about valuing what's next, what we're really talking about is a long-term look, even an eternal look at what's next because of what has happened to you if you're a Christian. This is only true if you're a disciple, if you're an apprentice of King Jesus. We could really boil it down to this sentence. You can see it on the screen. We want to help disciples of Jesus see what is next for their life as well as what is next for their church. South Shores is committed to developing leaders to bear fruit for the kingdom of God. So let's dive into our text and try to get our hands on exactly what should motivate our investment and where we should be aiming our investment. Now we're reading out of Titus, which is actually a letter the Apostle Paul wrote to his friend Titus. And interestingly, Titus didn't come from a religious background. He wasn't Jewish. We think he came from the city of Antioch, which the ruins of that city are right near a city today called Antakya, Turkey. And many believe that Titus studied Greek philosophy in his early years, but was converted after Paul shared the good news of Jesus with him. After that, Titus became Paul's right-hand man, his secretary, his interpreter. Now let's start reading in Titus 3, verse 3, as Paul is going to give a flashback of life before Jesus, and then a flash forward to life after Jesus has changed a life. Titus 3, 3, for we too were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by various passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, detesting one another. We should pause. That's pretty gross. This before picture is looking pretty bad. But this is us. This is every human before Jesus makes them new. Every race, every wealth level, every human being without the forgiveness of Jesus is dead in sin. And our world shows it. Brokenness, there's chaos within, without. In his book, Practical Religion, J.C. Ryle wrote this, settle in your mind that the main cause of all the suffering you see around you is sin. Yes, we have political problems. Yes, we have social problems. But the root of all our problems is sin. Sin infects us all, the whole world. It's, in fact, sin is one of the great equalizers of the human race, meaning we're all broken by sin. We're all in need of God. And the other great equalizer of the human race is the love of God. And this got me thinking. If you turn on the news or watch any media at all, much of the arguing seems to be about civil rights and, and a debate on which lives matter. Is there a racial group that doesn't matter? Is there a skin color that matters more or less? Someone had some good thoughts on this. His name is Daryl B. Harrison. He serves at John MacArthur's Bible teaching ministry as the dean of social media. Additionally, at Princeton Theological Seminary, Mr. Harrison is a fellow in the Black Theology and Leadership Institute and a graduate of the Theology and Ministry Program. And he wrote this recently regarding skin color, civil rights, and God. Quote, a key distinction between the civil rights movement of the 1960s, 
and the Black Lives Matter movement today is that the civil rights movement was rooted in the principle of the Imago Dei from Genesis 1:27. Black people, he said, in the 1960s wanted equal rights, not special rights, as fellow image bearers of God. Now, I'm bringing this up because I want to highlight that every human being, regardless of color, regardless of size, regardless of background, every human is made in God's image. And it's possible that any human who places their faith in Jesus, who in repentance accepts the death of Jesus on their behalf, is then rescued by Jesus, forgiven and adopted into the family of God. And then, as we're talking today, they're given new eyes so they can invest in what's next. Let's look back at Titus 3.3 again. We too were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by various passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, detesting one another. Verse 4, but when the kindness of our God and Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. Not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit, he poured out his spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. This saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed God might be careful to devote themselves to good works. These are good and profitable for everyone. South Shores values this. And so we want to help disciples of Jesus see what's next for their life, as well as what's next for the church. Essentially, what we want to do is help people see with new eyes, to, to borrow God's telescope, because ours is so often broken. A.W. Tozer once said, what I believe about God is the most important thing about me. Do we believe God and what he says about those who are his? Have we agreed to surrender our perspective for his? Are we looking to use his telescope on how we see ourselves or the world? You know, so often we don't believe what is true. In fact, sometimes we're flat out lied to. I wonder how many of us are aware that deception is Satan's goal. He uses deception any way he can to convince us that our lives are our own. You do what you want. You do what makes you happy, he says to us. He uses deception any way he can to convince us that the church is trying to take our money. He uses deception any way he can to discourage us. Who are you to help lead others towards Jesus? Let somebody else do it. But instead of believing those lies, let's believe God. Let's believe Paul and invest in what's next. So with the rest of our time, I'm going to challenge us to invest in what's next regarding three things. Your life, your church, and your others. Your life, your church, and your others. So what's next for your life? When I, when I say what's next for your life, I mean two things. One, beginning to think long-term, and two, beginning to think holy. Look at verse 6 again. He poured, on a, his, he poured out his spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we become heirs with the hope of eternal life. 
when you say, when you declare that Jesus is your Lord, when you surrender to Jesus and he forgives you, you become his child with a new hope, hope of eternal life instead of hell. When you become a Christian, your focus gets readjusted from the right now, from what's trending to the future, to thinking about eternity. We begin to plan for and live for getting ready to be with Jesus. And the Holy Spirit will be readjusting your vision and whittling away at our desire to embrace the past and embrace your future instead with God. Our culture today almost focuses entirely on the present or even worships the past. Instagram is an example of this. You'll see people at an event and they'll pause, realize how much fun they're having, take a picture of themselves, post it and say, look how great we were back then. Wasn't this event great? They would crave an instant nostalgia. But a good question for disciples of Jesus to ask is, how can I live now that will best prepare me for meeting Jesus? When we invest in what's next for our lives, we not only think about our future, we also begin to think about holiness. This is from verse 8. This saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed God might be careful to devote themselves to good works. Being devoted to good works is a daily assignment for a Christian. And not just to flex on others to show how good you are, but instead to show the goodness and the grace of the one who died to save you. Now, how important is holiness? According to Jesus, holiness is essential. Oswald Chambers once said, holiness, not happiness, is the chief end of man. And one pastor said it like this, God doesn't want you to become a God. He wants you to become godly, taking on his values, his attitudes, and his character. Holiness, like we sang this morning, is looking at the cross of Christ, recognize it should have been you there, and then devoting yourself in gratitude to value what God values in your own life. Well, now we've invested in our own life. Now we look to the next one, investing in what's next for your church and the church. What we're talking about is leaving things better than you found them. A lesson we'd love for our kids to learn, but it's also for us, right? Paul reminded Titus in verse 6 and 7 that when we trust Jesus, we become an heir a child who will receive an inheritance of the kingdom of God. And he said that with the inheritance comes a gift for now, the hope of eternal life. That is long-term thinking. God's children are part of his family, and they are set to receive an unimaginable inheritance. And with that inheritance comes a responsibility to think about how you can begin thinking about the inheritance you will leave behind for your family your church family, and the world. Paul discussed this with Timothy um, when he wrote to him in chapter 6. He said this, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. See, a child of God becomes generous in all things. And they plan for the future on how to be a blessing to others. If you're a Christian, 
it's sinful to think only of yourself. Charles Spurgeon once said, any man who is selfish is an unsaved man. For the chief point in salvation is to save us from ourselves. As long as you live simply within your own ribs, you live in a dungeon. Yikes. Because of the riches we have in Christ, we need to be thinking about how to bless our church while we're here and how to bless our church when we're gone. And God's people have been doing this for thousands of years. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 96, ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name, bring an offering, come into his courts, worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness, tremble before him all the earth. And the apostle Paul assumed that the believers in Corinth would be doing similar, regularly investing in the cause of the gospel. Look at 1 Corinthians 16. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collection will, be ha will have to be made. It's best to, to make a plan. It's best to invest in what's next according to a plan and a strategy because it's not going to happen accidentally. And when I thought about planning ahead, strategically, I thought about my wife and how she plans for her morning coffee routine because we should do it similarly on how we invest in the church. So my wife plans her morning routine with Jesus with laser-like precision. By 8 p.m. the night before, the entire scene is set. The coffee, the cup, the water, the spoon, the Bible, the pencil, the couch, the blanket, all of it is poised and ready. And when she, wakes up, when she wakes up, that prior investment rolls into place. No further work needed. needed. She just sips into glory, right? <laughs> she planned her investment wisely, and we should as well. So we've looked at investing in what's next for your life. We've looked at investing in what's next for your church. And now we're going to look at investing in your others. When we say investing in your others, what we're talking about is how can you as an apprentice to King Jesus, pour into others for the cause of Jesus. We, we want to be a church that's developing leaders to bear fruit for the kingdom of God. Paul encouraged Titus in verse 8 that in this new life you have, the new work you're doing will need to spread to others. The others at your church, the others at your work, the others in your class, the others on your street, the others in your house, the others in your Zoom meeting. Verse 8, this saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed God might be careful to devote themselves to good works. These are good and profitable for everyone. You see, every follower of Jesus is assigned the task of making a big deal of Jesus in the lives of other people. Many of us think about this that it only takes place in an official capacity, like a, a pastor discipling a new follower of Christ. And yeah, it does mean that. An example of that is from 2 Timothy 2, where Paul says, You then, my child, speaking to Timothy, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Yes, making much of Jesus in the lives of others will happen in official ways but not only official ways. You see, every believer is called and equipped to pour out Jesus 
to others. Maybe not in official ways, maybe more personal or more everyday ways. My favorite example of this everyday type of pouring into others comes from the life and family of Timothy. Let's get reminded what that was like from Paul, 2 Timothy 1. He writes, I am reminded of your sincere faith, Timothy, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Good old Lois. Good old Eunice. At first glance, they just sound like your run-of-the-mill grandmother and a frazzled mom, right? Apparently, they were much more than those things. Lois and Eunice were beasts in a great way. They were beasts for Jesus. These regular, everyday women invested their regular, everyday life into their others at home. And as a result, Timothy became one of the biggest ministry partners of Paul and took the good news of Jesus around the world. How can you invest more into your others? How can you bear fruit for Jesus and help the others around you bear more fruit for the kingdom of God? We need more pastors doing that. We need mom, more moms doing this. We need middle schoolers doing this. We need accountants and police officers doing this. We need teachers and pool cleaners doing this. We need athletes and architects doing this. We need IT, IT people and business owners doing this. Now, many of us are anxious these days. There's a lot happening. A lot of it is chaos, which is true. And some of us are even scared or angry as we march closer towards election day. But this shouldn't be surprising to us. The Bible tells us that nothing is certain. And we don't know how much time we have on this earth. We need to put our hope in the right place. I'm reminded of what James said, James 4, the half-brother of Jesus. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow will go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow, he wrote. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. So I want to remind us, we need to invest our time wisely on this earth. And we need to remember, yes, election day is coming, but there's a much more important day coming that all humans need to study for and be ready for. Hebrews 10, 24 says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. See, the day is coming when Jesus comes back, so we need to invest in what's next wisely. There was a plaque that hung in the little kitchen where John Piper grew up. It hung above the sink. It's a good reminder it said, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. So in our living, in our dying, let's invest in what's next for the name and cause of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are grateful for you. 
we're grateful that you offer to us forgiveness for our sin, but we know that we don't automatically get that forgiveness. Lord, you call us to repentance. You call us to surrender our lives to you. You call us to follow you, to be your disciple. Jesus, we're so grateful. I pray that you would change how we invest. That you'd help us to invest in holiness. You'd help us to invest in our church. You'd help us to invest Jesus into the lives of others. And Lord, as we join our hearts together in song, I pray you would unite us as a church, that we would be joyful and united around the fact that Jesus is our King and that you would change our lives and our church as a result of that. In Jesus' name, amen.